right, let's look at Matthew 14, verse 22. You can see in your handout there. And we're going to look at something that is maybe the only time in recorded human history that anything like it actually occurred. And so we're going to dig right in here. It says Jesus is talking about something that Jesus did. It says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And so the immediately is, of course, Jesus um, talking to his disciples. It, what, what, it, what it follows here, this passage contextually is following uh, a miracle that Jesus gave, the feeding of the 5,000. And so after he did this miracle with the multitude of people and his disciples, uh, he then decides to do something. He, and look what happens here. He sends the disciples off across the Sea of Galilee, right? And he himself then sends the multitudes away. So it says as soon as he was done with this miracle, he sends the disciples across the sea, across the lake of Gennesaret. It's basically, they call it the Sea of Galilee, but really it's a lake. You can go there today. It's really beautiful, um, but it's not large, but it's not small either. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go to the other side. So he sends them away. He sends them across the, to the other side. They get in their boat. I can imagine them saying, Lord, we don't want to go right now. Why should we? We're not going to leave you alone. I mean, we've done this with you. Uh, we don't want to leave you by yourself. But he insisted. And maybe they even tried to say to him, Lord, I don't think it's wise that you stay here and we go. It was very uncommon that Jesus would tell his disciples to just head out and then he himself stay alone. But after this amazing display where all the people were impressed by something that God had done through him, Jesus sends both the crowds away. And I want us to see it in our mind's eye for a moment. And he sends his disciples away. So he gets out of the boat where he has been teaching right off the shore. And this group of people, you know, he's been on the mountain and all that. He, he sends the disciples away and he then, he then tells the multitudes that they need to disperse as well and he dismisses them. And then Jesus, we're told, is alone. Look what it says in verse 23. It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now, there's something really beautiful about this verse. It's very poetic. It's very subtle. It's sublime. To pray, Jesus was to commune. He needed to be alone. And he remained there through the night. And he was alone, but he wasn't really alone because the Father was with him. But I tried to, again, imagine in my, my mind's eye, after Jesus sends away the disciples, and after the crowds are gone, he's by himself, and he starts to to hike. He goes on a, a journey, right, by himself up, up into the mountain. And he's walking alone. Jesus was a day hiker, right? He, he liked to go on his own, if you will. It says that he gets up there and he's in a mountain by himself. He's praying. And that walk by Jesus from the Sea of Galilee up into the, to the hills where he was praying, he was all by himself in his thoughts. And, but if you were to be there and you were to go to the sea today, you can tell that, that you can actually look down on the lake and you can see everything that's going on if you're up, up high. So Jesus is praying there, but he's also able to see the whole lake. And he can no doubt see the disciples in their boat as well. And they're making their way, as he told them, obediently, 
They, he said, go to the other side. They're doing what they were told. Look what it says in verse 24. It says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The wind was against them. Uh, somewhere along the way, as the boat is making its way across, as it's, you know, the disciples are rowing <laughs> and they're trying to get across. We're told, maybe they had their sails up. We're told that all of a sudden the storm hits and the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee was notorious for having the winds come right off and hit, hit it. And all of a sudden it could be, you know, just riled up and the waters could start churning. And we're told that somewhere probably in, towards the middle of the lake, the, the storm hits. And they start getting beaten by the waves. And that phrase, for the wind was against them. For the wind was against them. Ah, that's a phrase that, uh, I mean, that's like a metaphor of life sometimes, isn't it? I mean, there are times where the winds are against us. We can feel it. It's like, I don't know, something about that captures sometimes where we are in our life. Maybe we're in that place right now where we feel that it's, it's actually hard where the wind is against us, where it's, it's difficult and we're having a hard time. And uh, I've used that phrase a couple of times in my own life. You know, it feels like there's head, this, is, this is hard. This is a hard place. There are times we feel like the winds are against us. Um, the uh, older version, or another version, the NLT, puts it this way, asked them if they could put it up. It says they were having trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting, look at that, they were fighting heavy, heavy waves. So the waves got big, and they were having a really hard time. And while he, so while he's praying in the mountain, looking down on the lake, they're in the middle of that lake that he sent them into in the middle of a storm, and, and it's a very difficult one. And remember, the only reason they were in that position in the first place was because he sent them there. It's like, Jesus sent them across the lake, and in the middle of that obedient movement on their part, they get hit with a storm. Again, a reminder that we could be moving along, trying to do our best to honor God, and all of a sudden life hits us, and boom, we're in the middle of something, and the winds are against us, and it's hard. It's really hard. The waves are high. The wind's blowing. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to move. We can maybe be, we're going, wow, this is hard. And in their case, again, it was because they had been obedient. He had point, they had pointed their boat in the direction that he had said they should go. And now they were in a mess. Have we ever had a situation where we <laughs> trying to do what God wants us to do, trying to do our best, and the next thing we know, we're in a mess. We're in the middle of a storm. And we're saying, but Lord, I've been trying to do it your way. And now look at this. This is so hard for me right now. I'm reminded of something G. Campbell Morgan, the great Bible commentator, said, and I never forgot it. He said, whatever difficulty we have found our way into, and we have found our way into more difficulties, difficulties through disobedience than obedience. That the Lord, though, never abandons us. He's always there to help us out. So a lot of times we find ourselves in difficult places in life because we were... We created our own storm, if you will. But other times we find ourselves in a difficult place. All we were trying to do was what was right in God's eyes. All we were trying to do was be obedient and courageous. And yet we find ourselves in a place that we're stuck. Again, it's a lot like life. Um, they're halfway into their journey. They get hit with a storm. Sometimes that's what we're doing. We're sailing along in relative calm, 
content to do the master's bidding. He told me, go across the sea, go across the lake. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves fighting for our lives. Um, I, I had an interesting incident happen to me uh, yesterday. Well, actually, it was two days ago. Because I was thinking about how storms hit you, you know. And um, my wife and I, we were trying to get away for a day. So we, uh, we decided we were going to go and drive up. We were going to spend Thursday. We, we were going to leave Thursday night and then try to spend Friday just day hiking in Yosemite in Tuolumne Meadows, which is like on top of the valley. So I said, hey, let's just take my car. My car's a little older. It's a good car. It's been a wonderful car. It's, uh, it's 11 years old, but I mean, it's an amazing car. I love that car. And I have an attachment to it. I know it sounds strange, but I do a modest one. I like it a lot. I've gone a lot of places in that car. It's been extraordinarily faithful to me over the years. That car, by the way, is the other car that some of you may know when I took to Yosemite a few years back. Uh, do you remember? Does any of you guys remember the squirrel story? That had, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the squirrel story. Yeah, I, you know, Cheryl and I also had gone to Yosemite uh, a couple of years back, almost seven years ago. And, uh, you know, a door had been left open while we were unloading things. And, and uh, you know, I always blame my wife. But at the same time, that squirrel jumped in there. And, and I didn't know, we didn't know there was a squirrel. No, so all I know is that when I came back the, the next morning, I looked at all those seats. Those were leather seats. And it just looked like somebody had dumped a bunch of popcorn on it. And I couldn't figure out how that was possible since all the doors were locked. That was because a squirrel had jumped in during the day and rapidly had tried to find his or her way out. And so uh, I had a bad traumatic experience before in Yosemite with that vehicle and was trying to be extra careful uh, with it when I got there. And um, well, Cheryl and I, we are driving up. You know, we spent the night outside of Yosemite. We said, we're going to go day hikes. So we take this trail. Um, you, gotta, you can drive for two miles in to a parking area. So we're driving in. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking, and about a mile and a half in on this road that sometimes only has like one, there's only one lane. Uh, so you're, you know, you kind of got to make your way through it. All of a sudden, I'm looking, and I'm going, I think steam's coming out of my, my um, hood. And then I look at my gauge, and it's all the way on, on the red. And I go, oh, no, right? Because I'm in the middle of nowhere. We have no phone reception. And it's just like the whole thing is, is just uh, a mess. And I go, Cheryl, I got to stop. So I stop the car. I go, I don't know what are we going to do. I don't have a, our, none of our phones work. There are people who are going to be coming in and out in different directions. We are stuck here. I can't turn. I try to turn the car on. I go, if I know if I turn this thing on too much right now, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow the engine. So what do I do? And so, you know, this day that we had planned for replenishment, I had been under a lot of stuff. I wanted to get away with her, take a walk. The next thing I know, I'm in the middle of a road stuck with no phone reception, with our car, you know, heat flying everywhere. The temperature gauge a disaster. I'm trying to figure out how do I get off the center of the road here. I go, honey, let me try to turn the wheel. I'm going to put it in neutral and try to back away. So a couple of people help us. Uh, eventually, we, I put some water in there. We got ourselves out in the parking lot. And we're stuck in the middle of this parking lot. And I go, I, we can't even call AAA. There's nothing. I couldn't do anything. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what are, how did, I was just trying to get away and have a day 
to just catch myself and pray and get ready for this amazing service at Reardon that we were going to have. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Oh, this is totally not what I envisioned for the day. And I'm sticking, sitting there going, I got to get back to San Francisco. How am I going to do that? And so where we were located, you can only, like, it's a, to get out of the park from where we were located was like a two-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive to get to a place where we could get help in Sonora. And then the only other, uh, but that was the way, that if you were heading back to San Francisco, that's where we would have to go. And I'm thinking, there's no way this car will make it there. I'm going to have to get it towed. But I can't even contact the people to get it towed. So I needed to either wait for a ranger or have someone help us. And what do you think we should do? Kind of pray, took a walk, let the engine cool down a little bit try to put whatever water we had in there. And then I had to make a call. We had to make a call. I said, yeah, I think we should head in the opposite direction of San Francisco, head over the other side, which is only 20 miles away, and try to find a gas station. And we'll get a ranger maybe. Anyway, long story short, I'm not trying to overwhelm you with this story, but I, I will tell you this really happened to us. So instead of heading back towards San Francisco, our car is like we're just babying it along, trying to figure out. It looks like a, a top had snapped and the, one of the one of the hoses is missing, and it was bone dry, the radiator. And I'm going, I can't blow the car up. I can't blow the car up. I can't get a AAA. What am I going to do, Lord? I just... So we get to this uh, place in Twalby Meadows, a market. There's no... I asked if I could borrow their satellite phone. I call up AAA. But by that point, anyway, okay, I need to cut this short. I wasn't even planning on sharing this, and now this is like, what are you going to do? I, eventually what happens, we get to the other side, 20 miles to the other side of Yosemite. So we actually cross over Tioga Pass and go to the other side, like towards Mammoth Lakes, which all I can tell you is it's like you come off this elevation drop. And we finally, we go, okay, we found a gas station. We bought some antifreeze. We go, we need to find a car repair shop. We could at least get phone reception. We called six different phone, phone repair shops where it, it says on our our, uh, you know, a distance that if we don't go th up the pass back where we were, we had come from, which would be perilous, that we are going to have to take the long route and be six hours. I'm going, Cheryl, we'll never make it. Six hours? I can barely drive this thing. Somebody had helped us on the side of the, side of the road and had tied a string to one of the hoses for us and put it in. And it was just kind of being held there as a Band-Aid. We called all six shops that we were recommended. Every one of them was closed. Said, if you want to stay over for a couple of nights, you can do that. We got nothing. Zero. We pulled over to the side of the road. We go, what are we going to do? This thing's holding, but it could bust at any moment. I don't think we can make it, hon. I don't think we can make it. She goes, hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just pray. <laughs> She's, let's just pray. Pour a bunch of antifreeze in. We'll check it. Let's take that. So we went up like an elevation of about 3,000 miles, seven miles, 3,000 feet, seven miles, excuse me. And eventually we got to the top and it was bone dry again. We just kept feeding it. Well, here's the thing. The entire day and all, we eventually made it back to San Francisco. I was stunned and amazed and thankful. And we just kept babying it all the way home. Here's the thing. I, I was under, I remember driving up back the way we had come, thinking, Lord, this is being held together by a string. And if it busts here, we're in the middle of nowhere with no phone. And I've got to be back tomorrow. And so what had been meant to be a replenishing drive and hike, all I can only tell you that every time I put my foot on that pedal for hours, I kept thinking to myself, at any moment, this thing could blow up on me and... This is a disaster waiting to happen. 
And so my stress levels coming back were so high. I mean, I don't know how to, you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. You're going, at any moment, this thing could blow apart, right? This whole thing could shoot out, the, that little thing holding it together. And yet, having made it, I was thinking, Lord, a lot of times, and so someone said to me, so how was your getaway? I said, oh, I was, un you know, I went there to get away from pressure. I had such a rough day and a half. You won't believe it, right? And I came home and I said, Lord, it's like a life. Sometimes those storms, they hit us. And the next thing you know, we're in the middle of, of something and we weren't prepared for it. And, and, you know, I'm just thankful I'm here actually right now. It's just a blessing to me. So anyway, verse 25, here we go. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, uh, some of you said, don't go to Yosemite anymore. I said, no, I want to. All right. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So here they are. There's the picture, you guys. They're in the middle of, this, of the Sea of Galilee. They're trying to row that boat. Jesus told them they're sailing across. They're in the middle of this storm. They're fighting right to try to get it to work right, uh, just to get across. They're doing everything they can. And then it says, this is one of the most remarkable things in the scripture, right? It says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Look at that. Walking on the sea. What? It's around 3 a.m. That's the fourth watch. So they're in the middle. <laughs> they're fighting. And I'm not sure he had, I don't think he ever lost sight of them, by the way. But I know for sure was that he came. And look at this, you guys. He walked right out of the Father's presence onto the sea. And one gets the impression from the text that what scared them to death was not the storm, which was awful, as dangerous as it seemed to be. But what really scared them was this apparition, this thing, this ghost-like figure moving towards them. It was bizarre. It was surreal. It was dreamlike. It was frightening. It was terrifying and unsettling. Look at verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. What is that? It says most of the, and by the way, most of these men were fishermen by trade. They knew these waters. They had fished them since they were young, Right? They knew storms in that sea. They understood the, how, to, how to get through that, but none of them had ever seen anything like what they thought they were seeing. And it shook them to the core. It was a trouble, inexplicable. And they're going, what is that? What, do you see that? It's a ghost. It's a spirit. What is that? In the middle of the storm, imagining your mind's eye, the waves is dark. The waves, water's flying. It's moving. They're trying to get across. And then all of a sudden they see this figure. What is that? Walking, it seems, on the water. They can't tell. They cry out. They've never seen anything like it. But it says immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Basically, he answers their fear with his presence, the master of the waves that seek to overwhelm you. Hear me out, you guys. And I said, can you guys put this up for me? There is an aspect of Jesus that can only be known in the storm. There is an aspect of relationship with the Lord that only can be known in the storm. It's not in the sunshine, but in the storm. Perhaps some of us are in that storm. Might have to do with a health issue or a relational issue or a life stage issue, financial issue. But I want to assure us, all of us, there is an aspect of relationship with Jesus that can only be known in the storm. They saw him in the storm. Peter appears to have been caught up in the whole experience and once again speaks first. This time it was an explosion of faith 
based on what he saw Jesus doing. Look what happens, verse 28 there. It says, when Jesus said, take heart, it is me. It's not a spirit, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter answered, Lord. Again, I'm trying to imagine my mind's eye. Nothing ever like this ever in all the scriptures. But in this moment, Peter seems just stunned and amazed. And he says, when, he's, when they said, it's a ghost, Jesus says, no, it's not, it's me. And when, and when that happens, Peter's caught up, it appears to be caught up in the moment. And he says, to, he says, if it is you, bid me to come. Think about it. Bid me to come to you. Command me. Invite, this is, and this is where, oh, by the way, this is where Peter's impetuous uh, nature paid dividends. Because he was fearless. He was bold. It's possible that is, if we could say it this way, it's possible that initial courage was Peter's greatest quality. He dared to test the Lord. But he also had enough sense to ask first. And what is he, so he says, if it's you, if it is you, call me to you. And I guess, I'm, I'm assuming that moment, Peter is just overwhelmed in faith. Again, I'm trying to get it, trying to think about what it would have looked like, what it felt like, what it, what it was, what was, how it was going. Everybody's stunned. Everybody's trying to process. It's Jesus. What in the world? Peter says, if it is you, I want to come and join you. And so Peter got out, verse 29, just take it for what it is. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. What it must have felt like to walk on water. Now, I don't know how many steps he took. Maybe only one or two, maybe three or four. I don't know. As far as we know, he's the only, human, only other human being who's ever been able to do it. I say, the Bible doesn't even try to explain it. It just says, Peter got out, jumped out, took the step, and a, and a little bit more, and he started moving on the water. I don't think Peter thought too much. That was his strength. I don't think. Peter thought too much that that was his weakness. <laughs> but I know this. I think Simon Peter was the forefather of all extreme sport lovers. That's what I think. And he just decided to go for it. And realistically, Peter's reason for asking was not a diversion. Uh, wasn't for the thrill. It was to get to Jesus. And it was like he says, Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter said, in essence, if it is you, then let me come to you. And Jesus said, come, and it's just that simple. Was it one step, two, three, four? I don't know. But for a moment, maybe seconds, he was defying gravity. Like God gave him the ability to defy gravity for at least a few steps. Look what it says in verse 30, but when the wind, when he saw the wind, when he actually started realizing what he was attempting to do and what was actually happening, Peter got afraid. And who can blame him? No life jacket. He understood. I'm in peril. Men die here all the time when they fall off the boat. Now what did I do? Crazy me trying to walk to Jesus. Now I'm in the middle of these waters and I'm about to die. And beginning to sink. Look at that. Beginning to sink. Was it one step, two, or three? I don't know. All I know is that once he realized this shouldn't be happening, this is crazy, and he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started sinking. 
And he cried out, oh, Lord, Lord, save me. And he, and he looked, as he looked at the wind and the waves, his faith broke, didn't it? The initial courage that got him to step out, which was perhaps, again, his most eminent grace, was not capable of sustaining. Once he fixed his eyes on the circumstances and realized the danger that he was in, his faith caved in. And he began to sink. Which is what we as his followers will have happen to us when we take our eyes off of him as well. Peter in desperation cries out, Lord, save me! A cry that we must all make, I suppose, for eternal life, but a cry we make at various times in our lives. Have you ever made that cry? I have. Lord, help me here. Lord, save me here. I'm going down. I need you to help me. Save me, Lord. If you've never cried that prayer, that's a cry of salvation, yes. That's a cry that we open up our heart to God, yes. But that's also a cry at times in our lives where we need the Lord's help. And we realize this thing is going to overwhelm me. This is too, too much. This is too hard. This storm's hitting me. I can't. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Lord, help me. Look what it says, verse 31. Immediately Jesus, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Immediately, in capital letters. Notice that. Jesus stepped in with his strong hand, caught him, and then two things. He saves him, and then he lovingly reproves him. Oh, you. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? What? It's like Jesus said, Peter, you had this. I wonder what everybody was thinking. I think Peter didn't hear anything Jesus said. I just think he was in shock. I wonder what everybody said to Peter. I don't, I don't know how everybody processed that. How do you process what you just saw? How do you even make sense of what seems sense, senseless, impossible, incredible? It says, verse 32, when they got in the boat, they got in the boat, the wind stops. And look at that. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying... You are the son of God. Truly you are. Whatever else men say, you are the son of God. It was a special moment. And I hope we can see this. The essence of worship is to declare who he is. But I want to go back and just kind of finish this with a few thinks. Okay? Thinks around sustainment. I want to talk about a couple of just thoughts to carry home. Here's one of them, you guys. So I want this time to have meaning for all of us. When we jump and we fail to get it right, it's important to remember the Lord is still with us. He won't abandon us. Peter sunk, it's true. But he took a step or two. And even though he failed, he started sinking and got a gentle rebuke on top of it. I know the Lord loved him, and I know that he loved that he even tried. I found myself thinking about this moment of Peter stepping out and then the Lord rescuing him because he couldn't sustain it. He had an amazing step of faith, didn't he? And he took a couple of more, but he, he got scared, normal. I mean, I, you know, I, I was sitting there and I was thinking about this and it brought me back to a time when my kids were little, really little. Um, now they're all grown up. My, our oldest son's 30. I know, wow. 
my youngest daughter who was singing right here, my oldest daughter who was singing right here, Chloe. I remember when they were both little, very little, a long, long time ago. A time that will never return. <laughs> it will never return. Let me show you a picture of them when they were little. Let me show you one. Look at those two. That's my two oldest ones, Caleb and Chloe. Um, that's, that's what she turned this Chloe. It was the same Chloe. You know, I was thinking, oh, there they are. That's with my little, that's our youngest guy, Jacob. And uh, Chloe, Caleb, Jacob, and Chloe. And then we had one more, Aubrey. But they're all older now. But I remember, I brought this up. Why, why is he showing us pictures of his kids when they're little? What's, what's going on here? Because I found in my mind's eye, I remembered a moment where Caleb and Chloe were just little. They were like five or six. And I remember how we had this table. It was like a little plastic table, like a Fisher-Price table. I think they still sell them, actually. They're little ones, plastic. You, the kids would sit on them. You could write in crayon and stuff like that and you know, have little picnics on them. And that, wasn't the purpose. that was the purpose of the table. But what ended up happening is, is all things that you buy, kids turn them around and use them for different purposes. And so they were using it as a jumping board um, onto the couch. <laughs> And I remember because at the time, uh, Caleb and, and, and my oldest son, who's again, who I mentioned, and Chloe, who's here actually, he just, they were jumping and they were laughing and they were jumping from the table, this little table, onto the couch like kids do. And they were giggling and laughing and jumping. And, and so Caleb, he's laughing and he jumps from the table onto the couch. And then Chloe, who's about, you know, two years younger than him, she's laughing and she's jumping from the table to the couch. And they're just giggling away. And then Caleb decides, okay, I'm going to move this table back a little further, right? <laughs> so he gets up and he jumps from the table to the couch. And Chloe's giggling with him. And they're just having a great time. And I never forgot this. I'm watching them going, okay, guys. Then all of a sudden, Chloe's laughing and giggling. And then she gets back. Because remember, Caleb had just moved the table back. She's laughing and giggling. And she gets onto the table. And then she looks at the distance. And I remember her face. She went, <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden, she started shaking. Yeah, little Clojo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she started realizing that well, it was all fun and games. Or a moment ago, all of a sudden, she looked at. It, she goes, I, "I could tell what she was thinking. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it." Right? So she wasn't laughing anymore at that moment. And I remember. This is why I remember. I'm not saying I always had these moments, but I do remember this one. I walked over and I, I watched Chloe just kind of standing there shaking. And I said, Chloe, you can do this. <laughs> now, I didn't know if she could or not. <laughs> but I did say this next. So I said, you can jump. You gotta, I go, you can do this. I said, but here's the thing. If you jump and you don't make it, I'm right here, and I will catch you. But you're going to have to trust me. OK? And I remember she jumped. And the truth is, she wouldn't have made it, actually. She wasn't going to make it <laughs> she jumped. Was like, because it was a fearful jump, right? It was, like, it was a scary one. But I remember I caught her. And in that moment, I was able to say, do you know how proud I am of you? Do you know how proud I am of you? And we, you trusted me. You trusted me. 
As you have, I don't have any memory. I remember that. And I think that's what the Lord is with us. You, even when you don't do it right, or it doesn't, you don't have enough, you trust in me. I got you. I got you. I got you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm proud of you. Be courageous in your faith. Step out. I got you. I love that. And uh, one more thing. The key after we jump and start to walk is to keep our eyes on him, right? That's so obvious, but we got to sustain the gaze. Ah, oh, so much easier said than done. You throw that out there, so easy. So much easier, you know, just keep your eyes on Jesus. It's a Christian cliche. I get it, but it's true. It's true. Peter got his eyes off. He got, he got scared. He started looking at the situation. He started empowering everything that was against him. He stopped, he lost his focus. And I'm saying that when we start looking at our problems, when we start to magnify the problem, instead of the Lord who can walk with us through anything, what happens is we begin to put ourselves in a place of peril. Now, even there, the Lord will help us. He's not going to abandon us. That's one thing I've come to understand. Even when we fail him, he will not fail us. He, will, he is there. But... It's a lot of times, it's what magnifying him means. It means, Lord, I'm going to get my eyes on you. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in a, I'm going to, I'm going to stay close to your words. Uh, I can choose to focus on what is wrong. I can choose to focus on how I'm feeling. I can choose to focus on why I should be afraid. But I am going to focus on you to the be help me to do it right now. And that's, by the way, that is a power in worship like what we just did. Because when you magnify, what does it mean? When we make, it's make God bigger. Not it doesn't make him bigger than he is. It, it makes, it makes him bigger in our eyes, though. It reminds us of who he is. And he reminds us to keep our eyes in the right direction. Don't panic. By the, you, when you understand, right, when we're panicking, which I was tempted to do, when we panic, listen, we lose our creativity and our capacity to problem solve. And the Lord wants to teach us how to keep our spirit from falling apart by the pressure we may feel. Some of you may be under enormous pressure. You may have a very strong sense of, of what it is taking to lift this thing. The Lord, is, the Lord is with us. Keep our eyes on him. Faith in his word. Oh, last one, and we'll just leave it right here, and this will be it. This is it. It's a long one, so... Uh, in every way. Okay, I, I would rather try with Peter and follow the word of Jesus. Walk, yeah, I said it, sink and survive than sit with the 11 watching. Learning from our mistakes is a huge asset that prepares us for future victories. Now, just keep that up for a moment. I want to point something out. Now, if you, by the way, if you take out the survive part, um, then I think I would rather sit, actually. Okay, I mean, me personally. Survive, if you take that out, I'd rather sit. But I'll say this. Sustainment does not always mean getting it right. But every time we try and survive, we learn. We learn. We learn. And in that sense, even failure can contribute to our larger and long-haul success.
we learn. Even if you fail, it's okay. Even if we don't get it right, it's okay. Everything is a learning opportunity that God can grow us in. And so as I, as I sit here and, and, you know, as a, as a church campus, oh, we're going to step off the boat. Uh, we get a chance to anyway. Soon, we've been talking about this now for months. What are you going to, what are we, so we've been saying, Lord, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go to at some point to two services at the, at the other campus that we've been, where we've been meeting. Are we supposed to um, look for other options? We, we had a team um, negotiating with the, the new group, with the, with the place where we've been. What do you want us to do? Show us the way, Lord. Um, and uh, I'm going to su- suggest to all of you, and this is, in a way, this is the core of this campus, is that, um, you know, we, we started this campus as a way of creating more space for people to come to Jesus than what we could do at the mission and um, we started out with that dream, creating room for people to come and grow and come and meet Jesus and have a, a place of their own and be able to share the gifts that we offer as a people, as a church. And so one of the things that we're being brought to now is we have to make a call. And we've made one. We've made a call. And... Um, based on what we were being presented with. And I told everybody who's been at the community gatherings that I was going to mention at the offsite, which we, okay, this offsite, we didn't have, every year we'd have to figure out one week where we have to be away from, from that campus because that, they have that food festival there. So we have to go somewhere. And sometimes we'll go this place and we'll go that place. And we've gone to different locations and we've made the best of it. And by the way, what an amazing group of people who helped uh, come so early and set this up so that we could have service here. We chose to make this auditorium into a sanctuary where his name was loved and proclaimed and where we're sharing in his word. And it's different than anything we've ever done, really. It's a different place and a different location. It doesn't quite feel the same for us. But yet at the same time, we're we're sensing that God had called us to make a decision to, to jump somewhere. And so this was the offsite location that we said, okay, we're going to go to this offsite, Reardon. We're going to Reardon. And what a blessing, you know, they've opened, it's opened up. And then we're going to be able to have a, a place to go. And it'll be different, but it'll be fun. And they've got a, a lot of other things that we, we have that we didn't have at the other, other location. And, and uh, you know, we can do this. We can do this as an offsite for uh, one time in the year. Let's go for it. And everybody has worked so hard to make it happen. You see that there's you know, the parking and the children's ministries and the, all the setup. I mean, we, this is not our stuff, right? So we, we've had to bring in st- things to set up a portable community and, and do church here and, and uh, try to utilize the space as best as we could. And everybody's thrown their heart into it. And many of you have just prayed for this moment. And, you know, it seems like simple, but it's really challenged to do it, set up a service and do it well. And, and uh, it's amazing, you know, you have so many, we have, a lot of things here that you get to have is a blessing. You know, afterwards, we're going to have a time to eat, and we have barbecue, and, and uh, you know, the center of court, we never, what is that? You know, we never had space to go have a, a lunch together out there. Uh, so it's going to be a real blessing. Here's why I'm saying, hear me out. Remember I told you we we're going to make, uh, uh, we, were, we were really praying about what we were supposed to do next. And in the course of, of preparing for this, the opportunity presented itself for us to be able to move here. Yeah, yeah, it did. (laughs) 
think. And, and see, what happened was the other campus that we've turned into our home made it clear to us that they really wanted to change the equation. And so we told them, if you do that, we're going to have to at least look at other options. We had no idea this was going to open up. But we have officially, it's not even talk now, it is officially we have signed an agreement that can carry us potentially, if we so choose, into the next eight years here. And it is a miracle. It is, it is a miracle. Now, the, the plan, and again, we had to sit down and look ourselves in the face and say, do we want to make this jump? Um, and we decided that after we prayed and the door swung open in a way that we could not have anticipated because it wasn't our plan. That was not our plan. Our plan was to try to figure out a way to make the other, other campus work because that's the building we had known and where we felt comfortable. And we remember when we started there, it was big and we started filling it up. And there were things about it that we've loved, but now we come here and, you know, we realized, and by the way, oh, the timeline, we're going to be here either in December or January as it stands right now. And I will totally keep everybody in the loop. Pray, pray for this. Uh, you know, the community gathering, try to make that a priority in the next, uh, we're going to do one in October on the 7th. We try to get there in November. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you something. On one hand, I go, we've got, we've got so we got all, what are we going to do with all this space, right? We've got so much space. We have parking space. that Now, it's costing us something. We'll talk about that. But the fact of the matter is, the space that's now available to us, the ability over time to turn this into a more of a home that has our feel to it, uh, to let this campus settle in roots here, to have a space for children's ministry, a gathering center court where we can fellowship and don't have to rush, the, the beauty of, of having a separated parking space from a, from a gathering space. Um, our, I'll tell you this. I grew up obviously, and I'm spending a lot of my time at the mission campus. I do that all the time. But uh, I've, we've never had it in San Francisco the opportunity to have on a week-in and week-out basis a, a, a sanctuary of, of this size. Now, I realize right now it's way more space than we need. By faith. And you don't hear me say that a ton. But I want you to pray if it's in your heart on the seats that are not now occupied. Pray that the Lord would fill them in the coming years and that at some point this entire auditorium, this almost 1,200 seats here, would be filled. Some of the people who are going to fill them are people you love. When we opened up the Lake Merced campus, and I thank you for your patience, it's taking longer, obviously, than a normal time would be. But when we went to Lake Merced campus, we took a leap of faith, a step of faith, and we asked God to give us courage to sustain it. It took volunteers committing themselves, throwing their heart into it. All of, many of you were there. You poured everything, resources, sweat equity. You volunteered. You jumped in. You, you helped make it happen. It's your church. And then we were able to see people, in my case, people I loved dearly. When we opened up that campus, they started following Jesus. It was a miracle for me to see my father-in-law and my mother-in-law begin to follow Jesus. 
It was directly connected to that campus. I don't know who is going to fill the seat that are open. But we should pray into it for the coworkers, the family members, the friends that God's destined to bring in to know him, to love him in this remarkable opportunity that we've been given as a people to step out. Now, maybe it's not walking on water, but it is walking by faith. And we're going to walk by faith together. And I want to ask you to think about taking this journey fully, embrace it. Let us all be courageous together. Let's love God. Let's watch this next chapter unfold. Let's be a part of launching it together. It's such a wonderful thing for us to be able to do. And uh, I truly have no idea what's going to happen except that we are going to be courageous and step out in faith and then ask the Lord to give us all the strength we need to sustain it. Pray into it. All right, I'm going to pray. Went way longer. They're all telling me you went way longer. You're supposed I know, I know. It's okay. Um, we're going to pray. We have a closing song, and then Pastor Sam's going to come up and give us the logistics for the rest of the day. But let me pray over this. Lord, uh, and then you just pray with me, okay, in the spirit. You know, Lord, as we're getting ready here uh, for our time of giving, I just want to ask that you would uh, let the words that we've been sharing together. I know that uh, on the surface this um, it seems like it's, it's, it's almost incredible. Uh, how are we going to possess, in, and I mean in, this, in the best way, how are we going to possess the land, if, as it were? How are we going to uh, occupy what we are now beginning to engage? How do, we, how do we improve it, make it our home in a place where we can bring people, a place where we don't have to rush, where we can settle in and, and have conversations afterwards and safe places and spaces for our little ones to grow and learn about Jesus and, and a place to bring people to who don't know him yet or are seeking um, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we are being presented with. And we want to trust you with this. You know, this situation we find ourselves in, it's, it's about you. And we just love you. We ask for your blessing over these closing minutes and then over the rest of our early afternoon. Just let there be a wonderful, beautiful spirit. And uh, even for those of us who maybe are all, not always comfortable with change, let us see the opportunity that is before us and be courageous in our faith. And we pray into the harvest. Um, 30, 60, 100 fold people coming to know you, coming back to know you. By faith, we pray for the return of the prodigal sons and daughters and for those who've never known your name to speak it in, in love. We ask for your blessing. Bless our closing time here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.